Hello, Feisties. I'm Sarah Gross, CEO and founder of Feisty Media. And I'm here to tell you that our foundational strength training course, Strong, is on sale now through April 10th. If you're like me, you probably get a lot of crap in your Instagram or Facebook feed telling you how you should look or how you will feel if you look a certain way. As summer approaches, this only gets worse. We are told we should have a quote unquote summer body as if our bodies somehow morph into something completely different just because the weather changes. And frankly, over here at Feisty Media, we are totally sick of it. Because at Feisty, our vision is to build an empowering culture for active women. We want to shift our attention away from what our bodies look like and focus instead on what our bodies can do especially during the summer months when having the physical strength to do the activities we love is so important. The Strong Course is designed to take any woman, regardless of your starting point, through everything you need to know to level up your strength training journey. It includes a 16-week program to help you progress from wherever you are to lifting heavy or heavy-ish with dumbbells or a barbell. It also includes modules on the physiology of strength training for women, nutrition, how we keep ourselves injury free and more. I want every woman to be able to do the things that bring her joy and be strong enough to do them for life. Enrollment in this course is now open and you can sign up and learn more at womensperformance.com forward slash strong or check the show notes of this episode for the link. And for those of you who are among the 800 women who have already taken the Strong Course with one of our previous cohorts, congratulations on taking the plunge. And to the rest of you, see you in the course in April. Make this summer your strongest and best ever. Head over to womensperformance.com forward slash strong today. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Business of Fitness podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and we are part of the Feisty Media Network. So you might notice my voice is a little scratchy this week. I was just at a stage race and just doing a lot of speaking and uh, teaching yoga and doing nighttime talks without a microphone. So I'm still just a little bit hoarse, but I'm still so excited to be back on the mic talking this week, bringing you this week's interview ahead of the Tour de France Femmes of Ex-Zwift. We have... Uh, Olympic Development UCI Virginia Blue Ridge Team 2024 Women's Pro Cycling Team Founder and General Manager Nicola Cranmer on the podcast. And we were talking all about domestic racing here in the U.S., what it means to run a women's team to send women from all different countries to the Olympics for the last two decades. Uh, Just so much cool stuff in here. And what I really love is she didn't really mince words, right? We talked all about balance and the fact that it's not that easy running something like this, keeping a program like this up and running. And it takes dedication. It takes, you know... turning off parts of your life that you maybe don't want to turn off, but that's that's what it takes to keep some of these programs afloat. So I think it's just really good perspective uh, when anyone's looking at what goes into starting any kind of pro team and thinking about sponsorship and all that kind of stuff. So we get really into the weeds in this one, and I think it's great no matter what kind of business or what kind of sport you're, you're thinking about, there's so many takeaways from Nicola. So without further ado, let's get into this chat with Nicola Cranmer. Morning. Good morning. Oh, it is still early for you. So are you? Yeah, no, no problem. Are you home or are you on the road? That's a good question. I'm I'm like, I don't know. Really don't. I'm BC and I'm getting my place ready to rent here. So it is home. However, I'm really living in Virginia at the moment. So Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, We've, uh, we've done that as we're like leaving for the winter, like getting the house ready to like rent out is just the worst. You start being like, Oh, I just cleaned that. So I'm just not going to use this room. (laughs) Where are you then? Where are you based? So I'm from New Jersey, but I actually live up in Ontario in Canada now, like an hour and a half North of Toronto, married a Canadian. Okay. So yeah. I haven't, I, 
traveling much in Canada at all. For for me with the pandemic, travel really slowed way, way down. So I'm not as like bopping around as I used to be, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that for a lot of people, um, mm-hmm. yeah. just, uh, yeah. It must have been really uh, weird. It must have been like an interesting thing for you to like have that downtime really suddenly. And then, (laughs) I mean, at first it was like panic stations, right? Mm -hmm. But then it it turned out to be just really important for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was good. I mean, we pivoted and activated in different ways, but it was important for me personally to just reevaluate and just say, hey, you know, is this what I want to keep doing? And then during, you know, as soon as start things started opening up, it was really the gravel that opened up first. So we just went full on gravel and that's mm-hmm. what the girls do. And that was really fun for me. Um, it was logistically so much easier <laughs> and, you know, it, it was great. I loved it. I, mm-hmm. I just really loved it. And then, then, I just adjusted back to focusing on performance again after that, you know, it's like, okay, um, we have some athletes that want to go to the Olympics. We need to, I mean, while we can incorporate gravel and it's great because it's hard, hard racing, it was adjustment back to focus on stage racing, which as Mm -hmm. you know, there are many, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think this sort of just like so nicely, goes right into what I wanted to talk to you about today. So I think let's just, you know, kind of even call this the start here. And uh, you just mentioned the Olympics. Let's talk about Team 2024, the origin story, including the name, which I think like people hear and kind of get used to, and then it changes, obviously. So, (laughs) so, I mean, the, so a little, a little background on myself in sport. And I grew up in a very sporty family in England and my dad was a football player, as in soccer. Um, and my mum worked for the governing body of of soccer, so the FA, for over a decade. And, and my brothers were into sports as well. So it just was very, I just grew up in this environment of a lot of sport all the time. And so it just, everything felt very natural to me. Um, my passion was horses. Um, and I, I didn't really ride in England. I did get a bicycle just so I could ride to the stables to ride horses so it was definitely just a means of transportation and I never even looked at it as a sport um at at that point and I I did see my first bike race that happened to come through the village where I was living um the milk race which doesn't exist anymore but it's a um legendary race in in the UK and I thought it was pretty cool but still it wasn't it didn't you know spark any passion in me or anything because I was just horse crazy um, and nothing was going to take over that (laughs) but you know trouble as a young girl I was just so focused on on horses so it was great um came to the states in uh 87 and I the first group of people that I met were actually mountain bikers um and you know I didn't know anything about it and they just said oh, oh you know hey you want to come for a ride and I'd rid- I knew how to ride a bike of course but I didn't know anything about anything as far as you know and it was really I mean this is in Marin County in California the birthplace of mountain biking arguably I mean although there were other um pods of people riding at the time I just was in Fayetteville and met some uh, guys there and and they said oh no we were riding mountain bikes before Marin was and you know but anyway this was this was an epicenter for it although at the time you know I don't think people realized it so much um, so that really you know did ignite my passion um, just being in the woods on mountain bikes I mean we're talking you know clunky heavy mountain bikes but it was just and I was used to the speed of well, just being on top of something with speed because I used to ride racehorses in the UK before I, I came over, like right out of school. Um, and so I could go downhill really fast on a bike, but I had no endurance. I mean, it never never worked out really. I mean, I played sport in school, but not to build endurance fitness, you know. Um, so that was really fun. And that's really where it all began. And um, I was just re- really lucky to, to connect with these 
these people and Gary Fisher was around and WTB um, was based in Marin and, you know, the, yeah, Jackie Phelan and all the um, sort of early legends of mountain biking were, were in the area. So I just, I got swept up in that and, um, you know, that, that quickly became my new favorite thing to do. Um, it's so funny and- though, horses and mountain biking and you've been running this road and like it led to this road I team. <laughs> I know I sometimes I do scratch my head and go wait a second what am I doing running a road team it's <laughs> and it yeah it's funny someone asked me literally the other day you know why are you so passionate about cycling and um why do you love cycling so much and I really don't I I, I thought about it I'm like mm, I don't love cycling I don't love bike racing you know I it's not it's what I love is um finding potential and seeing that realized. I mean, I, I, I love the human aspect of it, the, and it, to me, I probably could be in another sport, but I just love being able to identify talent and, and looking in places where other people don't look that aren't obvious and then seeing that talent reach its potential. I mean, that to me is my passion, not the bike, you know, I love that. I love that so much because I think people actually make the mistake of like, they love cycling. So they want to start a cycling team, but I think your, your way actually makes way more sense. Like, no, I love the people and the potential. And that's why I'm starting a cycling team. Like to me, that clicks way more because you can love the bike, but like, that's not going to necessarily help, you know, like that's not necessarily sustainable. And it, probably oh. isn't going to move you in the right direction. Yeah. <laughs> I was, if I wasn't helping you their potential, I, you know, definitely, um, uh, yeah, the, and, and you took away that part, the bike. And I mean, yes, it can take you places and, you know, all of that, but that that is not what I'm passionate about. So, you know, um, I think working with high-performance horses when I was very young, actually helped me um be able to work with high performance uh humans um I I, (laughs) yeah no it sounds crazy but I so I worked for David Ellsworth if if you google him he's one of the the best um uh horse race trainers in in the UK and he had a flat and national hunt yard so it was combined it's kind of like road racing and mountain biking, if you like, you've got flat racing, like Kentucky Derby, and then you've got, um, you know, uh, the the jumping, which is more like the mountain biking, which is more sort of like uh, the King George and, and things like that. Um, so working with these um, very expensive, very high performance, very highly strung horses um, really helped me work with, <laughs> I know it's <laughs> but humans are no different you know it's like I mean Kristen Armstrong's a perfect example of you know when she's at a race just being super highly strung and you know many athletes it's just you know what they do it's sort of how how they gear up to perform and you know it really taught me to be able to just hold a space for them to be them and do their thing and just go okay I'm gonna be right here but you just go ahead and do your thing um whatever that I love that I love that because you're you're exactly right like with the horses you would understand that you can't break the horse and like force it to be this certain personality yeah and people are the exact same way as it turns out yeah and and then you understand the you know there's a reason why that horse is bucking and kicking and jumping around before it's about to go and win a race it's just it's the same thing in humans. So, you know, I have a lot to be grateful for, for my time with David Ellsworth. He doesn't even know this, but yeah, I mean, it's transitioned me well into working with high performance Olympic athletes. Oh my gosh. I, I can't, this is just like my favorite, uh, (laughs) my favorite analogy here. Although we do have to point out the really depressing part would be like the budgets for like a horse racing team versus a women's cycling team. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. (laughs) <laughs> you know some of the horses in our in our yard that that I worked in 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 Whitsbury, um, which is a little village in in Hampshire. Um, 
it's, you know, one horse is many millions of dollars. And there's many of these horses there. A lot of them were owned by um, sheikhs um, from the Middle East and, you know, a lot of UK, UK owners as well. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, I started my team um, almost two decades ago and it was a, a regional team in Northern California and I was racing on a co-ed team and the women were doing really well. And I'm talking, this is like lower categories and uh, they were doing really well winning races and, and moving up, you know, the categories um, in road and the men weren't doing so great, but the men got the support and it Locker. just, yeah, I know it just really pissed me off. And one day I just said, I'm going to start my own team. And I didn't even know what that meant, but the words left my mouth and I just thought, oh, now I have to do something about this. So I was really lucky. Um, one of the women that I met early on was Gianna Roberge and she was in Northern California. I was based in Marin still. And she had, um, along with Tom Schuler, she really was um, very instrumental in running and, and directing the Saturn team. So she handed me this thick binder and said here read through this this will this will give you some great ideas and I still have it to this day um and it's the original Saturn binder with with all of um you know the the bios and all kinds of things in it so you know what a what a great way to start I mean that team was such a you know incredible just a legacy team and <clears throat> very dominant at the time and they were still they still existed when I started my team, I believe um, it was the tail end, though, and or maybe it had just ended. I forget what year, but, you know, it was it was a great way to to get going. And I found a title sponsor pretty quickly. Um, it, but this is a hobby team. This is, you know, local local women, Northern California. There just happened to be a really deep pool of um, talented women. And there's a race organization called Velo Promo, which to this day exists that put on tons of road races. So, you know, it, it was just a, a perfect storm and one of those very sort of serendipitous moments where, okay, this is coming together really smoothly. Um, and I was working in real estate at the time and I also had a, owned a flower shop and um, which still exists too in, in Fairfax, California called the Potting Shed. And- um, Amazing. You know, <laughs> and so, and so this, um, the team started and some of the early riders were, you know, Shelly Olds and Ruth Winder, um, Megan Garnier, who were just out of college, you know, Ruth was still a junior. Um, and so, you know, we had a, a track focus as well. We were based at Hellier Velodrome in San Jose and we started racing on the road and the team grew really quickly and it was really the athletes that um, were excelling that really pushed me into taking a, a deeper look at what I was doing because all of a sudden it was becoming, um, you know, a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And with, with Shelly Olds in particular doing really well on the track, we were sitting at Hellier one day and we said, oh, you know, let's start a UCI track trade team. We didn't exactly know what that was, um, but we figured it out. And we had fundraisers at the Velodrome. We put on races to raise money to get to track World Cups. Um, and then Carrie Higgins joined us and, you know, a couple of other athletes. But we literally would have a bake sale or put a race on to, to raise funds for our first UCI track team. Oh, my and gosh. Okay, here's the deal. You wanna take control of your health, of your life, but honestly, who has the time to go into the doctor, get the requisition for all the blood work, and then go to the lab and actually have that blood drawn, then wait weeks for the doctor to get back to you with the results? No, absolutely not. Inside Tracker is the way to go. And bonus, you can do it from the comfort of your own home with their mobile blood draw. It is so easy. Oh my gosh, so convenient, so safe, so reliable. All you have to do is when you order your Inside Tracker panel, you actually just add the mobile blood draw option and then boom, suddenly you have a lab tech at your house at a time that works for you to take your blood. We did this last month and honestly, it was the easiest experience I have ever had with blood draws in my life. So convenient. And then the turnaround on the results is so quick. 
and instantly you get this whole view of what is going on inside you with all of the important biomarkers that you need as an athlete, as an entrepreneur, as a go-getter. So definitely, definitely check them out. Save time in your day, add time to your life with Inside Tracker's mobile blood draw. And if you visit insidetracker.com backslash feisty, you get 20% off today. That's insidetracker.com backslash feisty to get 20% off today. Okay, what point are you going more all in on this versus continuing with the real estate and the flower shop? Because that was just three full-time jobs that you just yeah. listed there. Which, which you know, I mean, if you look at the sort of smarter financial decisions, I did not make the smartest one. Um, but I I felt very driven. And I, I think that once I started something, I wanted to just kind of see it through and you know, there there was a, a time when I, I had to make that decision of, okay, I'm going to do this full time. And it's not something I grew up ever wanting to do, ever. I mean, I never said to myself, I'm going to run a women's cycling team. I mean, that seems absurd now to, to think that, I, I mean, I just never had that thought. Um, but I did. And again, it's not about the cycling per se. It's just about the performance. And you know, cycling, just being a vehicle for so many other things. Like for me, it's, you know, I've explored the world through the bike, not necessarily me on the bike, but, you know, running a team has taken me to some amazing places, particularly when we were a UCI um, track team and we went all over the world. Um, you know, it's, it's something that I've been able to help other individuals. Um, if, it, if it wasn't for cycling, I wouldn't have met, you know, like Rukhsar Habibse, the Afghan athlete who is a part of what we're doing. And she's still transitioning from, you know, trauma in Kabul. Um, and she's in Virginia. Actually, where I connected her with some, some folks in uh, Roanoke, and she's going to be going to college in the fall in Roanoke. So, you know, I'm able to do things like that. And Marlies Mejias, who, you know, she's um, applying for residency in the US and just things beyond cycling, but that, that stemmed from cycling. And th those are the things that keep me going in the sport because definitely cycling as a sport has, and women's cycling you know, it's almost like a separate thing to men's cycling, although there is more integration now than there was before. I mean, it's had its ups and downs and, you know, it's still in a in a sticky place, I think, in America. But it's the, the sort of the human stories that I am connected with through cycling is what keeps me going for sure. Mm -hmm. um, working with the kids and being able to you know, connect them with college scholarships. I mean, there are so many cycling scholarships available for young girls and young boys as well. And that's very satisfying. I mean, we have a big junior squad at the moment and it's, you know, it's never my goal to encourage them to be professional cyclists because that's a really tough gig. Um, I think that they benefit greatly from being a part of our program where we have these incredible mentors and role models that are, part of our professional program like Jennifer Valente or Kristen Armstrong um you know they're they have access to these amazing women um but connecting them with education opportunities is really just as winning as as winning a bike race for me so that's that's what why I'm still doing this, you know. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, and you know, we've mentioned Kristen Armstrong a couple of times, and I just kind of wanted to like even just talk about her trajectory with the team because I mean, she like you and her have been working together now for like almost two decades. Yeah. Um, and I just I think that like that female friendship, that relationship that's grown from that is just like easily to me the coolest thing. Yeah, so we actually oddly met in Beijing. Um, we were at a test event, which was, I believe, a World Cup as well, uh, the year before Beijing Olympics. And we were staying in the, the hotel, the same hotel. I was there with my track trade team. So uh, Shelly and uh, some other riders. I think I had two, maybe two riders there. And um, 
you know, we, we met and just, we talked about, I think one of our early conversations was about junior development. And I think at that point she had her eye on retiring, um, the first time and she she knew that she wanted to give back to the sport so she was really looking for an opportunity uh you know post Beijing to be involved and, and to give back so I mean it happened pretty quickly and you know before you know it she's our director and we had a very young team at the time like Shelly was on the team and um some other amazing athletes that that next year oh including Mara Abbott and Lauren Tamayo Kat Carroll Corinne Rivera I mean you know casual yeah yeah I mean we had such a such a strong team and then she became the director which was which was amazing because you know she she had been on T-Mobile and Cervelo test team and she had been around the best athletes in the world and was was one of the best athletes in the world so it was perfect and you know she um got pregnant and she came on the road with us and I would drive the team car and she would sit there and you know be on the radio and everything and it was it was pretty amazing and and she really enjoyed it um you know, we actually, there was a lot of filming that was going on back then. Uh, we actually were pretty ahead of our time, just as far as developing a video series around the team called The Heat Is On. Um, and Jim and Erie uh, from Breakthrough Media back then, they they came around with us. So it's actually really fun to go back and see, you know, Corinne as a junior and Lauren and, and Kristen at races. And, and it was such a such a great time and you know she she got a lot out of it and then of course as the London Olympics came around um the thoughts were oh you know she had her son Lucas and her husband said to her one day wouldn't it be cool if Lucas was on an Olympic podium with you and I think that image in her mind she she it was it, it kind of imprinted and then so She's like, yeah, it would be pretty cool. So then, you know, it was comeback number one. Um, then she transitioned from being the director to being an athlete on the team. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, she she could have gone on to any team in the world at that point as, you know, reigning Olympic champion. And she wanted to just stay and, you know, stay a part of our program and have control over her schedule just kind of you know latitude to script her own season basically um and of course we followed the selection criteria for the london olympics and it required some international competition and it it didn't count if the international competition was in the u.s so she went and raced uh, you know i mean things like that so i mean we've been doing this for long enough now that we know what all of that means we can read between the lines um especially when it comes to arbitration, which always happens um, before a world championships or an Olympic um, game. So she went and raced uh, with the national team for, I think, just one race. Um, and I think it was uh, Flanders, actually, where she got second to J- Judith Arndt. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and then that, you know, she retired again after that and then came back again for... <laughs> another olympics but she's always been a part of the program i mean we speak we speak every day um sometimes several times a day um we're we're so passionate about sport we have a coaching company together um kx3 lifestyle and coaching and you know that was really born out of realizing that you know there's a lot of athletes out there and we focus on women um that have bad coaches and you know i think that it's really easy to be a coach anyone can say they're a coach but and and honestly for if someone's training for a local race or a grand fondo most most coaches will do a job of you know setting a program for somebody but honestly when it comes to actual high performance very few coaches and you know because I've been doing this for a couple of decades and and seeing coaching programs for many many coaches over the years you you just you know, wonder how, how they're, how they're doing this. But like I said, for the masses, a lot of coaches will do a fine job, but there are very few coaches in my opinion that I've come across that can actually really bring an athlete's peak performance. Mm -hmm. And so, 
you know, we looked at this as, you know, we, we need to provide this for, for some, for some key athletes. And, you know, the coaches that we brought on to um, KX3 are, are coaches like Haley Batten and Katie Keogh. Um, well, that was the other thing I wanted to mention is like, that's actually to me an extension of the the team and the elevating people that you, you do, right? Like, we we know that a lot of women retire from pro cycling and don't necessarily have a like a job basically yeah. <laughs> like yeah. their options are not great and they probably have not amassed enough to retire so i think to have this uh, this option for them like it's very similar to what i'm trying to do with my new little publishing company strong girl publishing where i'm trying to give them okay if you want to write a book we can help you do that yeah. this is like the same thing like you want to coach yeah. okay we can help you do this yeah. So yeah, good. Sure. And, you know, some Katie, of course, is retired and um, Haley is very current. Um, very much still racing. Yes. <laughs> and has a, you know, a, a long career ahead of her. And, you know, I think that just, you know, getting her to um, understand and be able to implement Kristen's metho metho methodology. No, I can't even speak. <laughs> we know what you meant. <laughs> methodology there we go yeah exactly around coaching and adding her own flair to it as well as she develops as a cyclist um is really important and you know she she is one of the most sort of giving athletes that I know I mean she loves working with the junior development and the NICA crew that we're involving her with and you know we're very careful and very um just respectful of her time as a professional athlete as well. But I think it also is a great distraction for her sometimes. I mean, when you're an athlete, sometimes there's such a lot of focus on yourself and, you know, she, she loves the balance of being able to give back and, and Katie, I mean, I scooped up Katie pretty quickly once she retired and she's our junior team manager, which I'm so grateful for because we have a massive junior team at the moment, um, which grew actually during COVID where, a lot of young girls just wanted to be a part of something and you know they really missed out on being able to race for a year at, you know when you're young you develop really really quickly through the ranks of cycling and your you know your body's growing and your and your um, performance is growing and then with a whole year almost two years really of very little competition we just um really you know leaned into these young girls and said hey be a part of what we're doing. We're having Zoom sessions all the time. You can be a part of it and still learn things that you aren't being able to learn in the field. So the team grew and all of a sudden I'm just like, oh, wow. Now, you know, <laughs> my team grew about 40 athletes and I'm just scratching my head going, yeah, no, this is this is a bit much. So Katie, <laughs> she's in her, her second year with us and it's it's awesome and she's also a coach under kx3 as well so yeah Kristen is a big part of what we do she's you know a continued inspiration for me we work really well together and and honestly with her experience and my experience we've really been able to pinpoint a pathway to performance i mean truly a pathway to performance and we're talking you know the olympics or world championships which you know is is the pinnacle of the sport for women it's not grand tours and and things like that it really is world championships and the olympics and you know we've been able to just um clear away the noise of the approach to the olympics or world championships and define a very clear pathway um and i think that's where where we excel together and mm -hmm. so it's been it's been um pretty amazing and and some of the athletes we coach under kx3 like chloe digard and um you know emma white is also a coach in the program as well and you know so we have this we have this incredible group of coaches we have an incredible group of athletes including you know like vita lopez young mountain bike athlete that just had a you know superb race in europe um they really are supportive of each other even though they ride on different brand bikes. They race for different teams. They represent different organizations. We've created a very synergistic community, which is very rare. Um, but I think that, you know, as long as women continue to support and elevate each other, we'll, we'll go places, you know, I mean, it's, it's not always the way and it's um, something that we really try and 
promote amongst our group. So yeah, mm -hmm. it, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I always find it really interesting. There's, there tend to be two narratives in women's cycling. And the one is that everyone needs to be best friends because otherwise it's just like unconscionable. Like you always hear like certain commentators that like, you'll have two women that are like racing head to head and like, you know, chopping each other in corners and just like going all out. And the announcers will be like, but off the, they're best friends. They ride together all the time. Like we have to like, make sure that it's, it's okay that they're like being competitive out here. Don't worry. They're, they're super close. It's so frustrating when people do that. No, and then the, it, the other side is like when they're like, oh, all these women cyclists are so dramatic and like, it's all like infighting. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure most of it is actually more of a middle ground where like, we're all like respectful yeah. competitors, maybe. Exactly. I mean, it's interesting because one of our um, athletes, uh, Melissa Rollins, she comes from mountain biking and gravel and we've been well, I've been trying to coax her into doing something different because she wasn't feeling successful doing that. And she's now seeing success and been on some podiums this year on the road. But, you know, you make friends with folks on other teams. But I said, listen, when we come to a race, it's war. It's us against them. Mm -hmm. We are not <laughs> where we're going to battle. We want to beat them. That's that's the goal is to win and beat them. Um, and then, you know, after you, you can, you can do whatever you want, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because you, you do, you have to create your strong pod, um, your, your mini army of, of women when you go to a race, if you want to win, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and you have a very interesting setup with currently a team 2024, pr you know, previously a team 2020. So we didn't actually get into the, the title of the team, um, which obviously is very Olympic themed. You not only have at a glance you would think like oh american riders competing for you know or like trying to get olympic spots but you actually have you know cuban riders canadian riders so not only do you have people competing and you know going for these olympic slots that are from the same country you also have other countries so like they're gonna end up literally on the start line at the olympics racing each other which is like a whole yeah. other can of worms but even inter-team when you have like you know five americans who are all racing for you know one or two births like how do you keep that like moving smoothly, you know, while ever, you know, working for as a team, but also for these individual goals, since that is the, the you know, name of the team? Yeah, I mean, I think that we do a really good job of navigating that. I think that it, you know, a lot of times be begins in the recruitment process. Um, you know, it's Jennifer is obviously the number one Omnium rider as, as reigning Olympic champion and, and world champion. Um, I wouldn't recruit another person that wanted that spot per se. Although, you know, Jennifer's the first to encourage other athletes to, to be a part of it and, and to step up and try track. And, you know, we have that going on right now with the team pursuit program. I think that you know, there's room for improvement in the team pursuit program as it currently stands. Um, they're not going to win a gold medal with the team that they have currently. Um, so there's there's room and there's opportunity, which should be really exciting for for anybody that wants to go to Paris. Frankly, mm -hmm. um, so individuals on the team that are <clears throat> high performance um, oriented and have developed their very new very new riders, um, but they're developing really, really quickly um, that could potentially have an opportunity. So we work closely with the national team to, you know, to try and um, make that happen and give them some exposure and opportunity uh, to see if that would work for them. But, you know, Jennifer's always trying to encourage the the road girls to get on the track. And, you know, we, we really had a very integrated track program for many, many, many years. And it, to be honest, kind of slipped away from me a little bit. I think being in Boise where there's no velodrome, uh, now I'm in Virginia where, you know, there's no velodrome in Roanoke yet. Um, that would be great um, if, uh, if we had one there. Um, but I think it is an important part. And I think it's, it's low hanging fruit for someone that wants to go to the Olympics, that and time trialing the road races. It's definitely harder to, to make the Olympic team, but you know, if you focus on timed events, um, I, I think that it's very tangible and I think it's a big opportunity for people. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. The organization of this, I'm so curious because not only like, not only do you have to keep the team organized in terms of like race, you know, races and like 
flights and all of this stuff, you also need to be keeping the Olympic pipeline in mind for different countries' sets of qualifications. Yeah. Um, how do you keep all of this stuff organized? Do you just have spreadsheet after spreadsheet? Do you have like an FBI style like bulletin board with like string attached? Like what's happening here? And that's in my mind. The FBI bulletin board is in my mind. Um, but I, you know, I love logistics. I, I really thrive on logistics and you have to because you're just spinning plates constantly. And, you know, it's, I, even though I love logistics, it's not something I should be doing. It's not time well spent for me. Um, and I'm really trying to, to delegate more. And, you know, I've been doing this for such a long time. And in the beginning it had to be me because we didn't have a budget to pay anyone to do it. So I've learned every aspect of, of running a cycling team, except building a bike. I refuse to learn how to build a bike because guess what? I would do it if I knew how, and I'm not going to do it. So, um, I love it, that. I love that as like a thing It's just like, don't learn it. If you know, no. you shouldn't be the one doing it. And that's the, that's the only thing I've said to myself, don't learn it. Don't learn it. Um, you know, I, I know way too much about team vans and trailers and tow hitches. And I know way too much about all that stuff. Um, and I shouldn't, um, but you know, it's, it's something that, um, it's all encompassing. It, it's really, really all encompassing. And it's, you know, we're not a multi-million dollar team um, at where you can hire, you know, a team of staff that to do all these different things. Um, sometimes I, you know, and I have had opportunities over the years to go work for a men's world tour team before they had women um, involved in, in the programs and just get paid to do one thing. And I thought, wow, that's that's pretty interesting. I could get paid to do one thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? instead of 25 things, but, you know, I, I think I'll go through LA Olympics with my program and it's going to look a lot different moving forward. Um, beginning this year, I I'm trying to, to organize myself a lot better, um, and focus on sponsorship acquisition and, and sponsorship activation. Um, obviously that's really the most important thing, um, where I'm spending not as much time as I should, and I've, you know, I'm developing, you know, some good staff like Katie Keogh and Shelly Olds, who runs the, um, she's head cycling coach at Roanoke College. Um, that's something that happened because the team moved to Roanoke, uh, Virginia, uh, which is, which has been pretty cool. Um, so she's our DS and, you know, she's, she's very good at logistics as well. We have the same mind when it comes to that. I mean, it takes this very certain type of of outlook and focus to be able to sort of work on those logistics um down to the details so yeah I mean it's it's hard it's it's not easy and it is my entire life so mm -hmm. I I know you were gonna um I was gonna ask about the balance and life and work when life is work and work is life yeah <laughs> you know that there's no balance I mean I I have no balance and I have no life outside of the team, which, you know, <laughs> I am in my 50s now. And when people say to me, hey, what do you do for fun? Well, first of all, I say, well, my job is fun. I, I love what I do. But outside of that, I really don't do much. I hike once in a while. I have when I'm back in Roanoke, Virginia, I go to lab sports performance uh, usually three times a week where I work out for an hour or so. And that hour is mine. And that's about it. It's very sad. And to be honest with you, it's, you know, it's something that I literally, as we're talking now, I'm working on this week. I came to the realization last week, like, no, something has to shift here. And, you know, I do want to spend more time at home. I, I do need to feel more grounded. I love being out on the road. Um, I am just this gypsy who is really comfortable being in different places, but I think it's not good for me anymore. Um, I think that, you know, it really has to change. And I'm excited to just pick and choose a few events that I want to go to which actually I did when Mari Holden was directing the team. I, I stayed home a lot more and, and focused on, I helped her with logistics, but focused on sponsorship and, 
and um, recruitment contracts and things like that, which which I really enjoy as well. So that's, you know, in my very near future is to create a little more balance. But as far as like the things that I like to do outside of my job, I have to explore that a little more because I really don't know anymore. I I it's almost like I don't know who I am outside of me running a team. And a hundred percent understand yeah. that. Cause every once in a while I do pause and I'm like, do I like bikes? Yeah. Do I like running. Like what, how did I uh, get here? It's a really odd like moment when you're like, huh, this just kind of, this happened. Like, I, <laughs> where am I right now? Yeah, I know. I know. And it's, um, yeah, it's something that I'm actively working on. So yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I moved, I moved to Virginia last year. I mean, we have a amazing new partner, uh, Virginia's Blue Ridge, which is a destination marketing organization in, in partnership with Virginia Tourism Corporation. And it's a very natural partnership. I mean, you know, their goal is to bring people to the region to recreate. And so it's very easy for us to sell that because I don't know if you've ever been to Roanoke, Virginia, but it is amazing for writing. And I, when I got there, I just couldn't believe that I had never been there. Um, I think back in the day when Tour de Pont was a, a race, they came through Roanoke, Virginia and did a time trial up one of the, the mountains there. Um, and it's beautiful. The road riding is amazing. The gravel, so, so many gravel roads, like endless um, and mountain bike trails. I mean, the mountain bike infrastructure is, is incredible. And, you know, I think people are just starting to find out about it. Um, I think the team moving there has really actually had a positive economic impact on the area. Um, Roanoke College now has a cycling team. National Championships has been there last year and will be again this June. And they have plans for some other events um, in the pipeline. There's an Ironman there. Uh, there's a lot, a lot going on there. And, you know, it's it's a small community and it's a very supportive community. It's actually the most supportive community where I've I've been um, have it had my team based. I mean, people literally in the grocery store will say thank you for being here. Um, which is, which is amazing. And, and people are always so willing to help and ready to help. And how can I help? And, um, so, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to, to be there and integrate into that community as well. And including some, um, school visits, we work with Carillion, uh, hospital or Carillion clinic and, you know, they we go on to do school visits on their behalf. And that's, that's very impactful too. Um, which is really fun to take our athletes and just hope to inspire, you know, a young child to, to pursue their goal, whether it's on the bike or, you know, playing lacrosse or, or even in, you know, academics, but if that's important part of what we do as well. So. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think it's actually, it's so smart and so interesting to have, you know, a, just like a hub, because there are plenty of teams that don't have like one yeah. spot where the team is, but B, a hub in an affordable area of the country, because I mean, so yeah. many teams are like, you know, LA or Boulder or New York city and yeah. those places you can't live there. as like a woman who's only right. Like who's being a professional cyclist, like the cost of living is just too high. Yeah. It's that's really true. And a very good point. I mean, I, when I first moved to Boise, um, gosh, I think eight, eight or nine years ago, I would say, you know, and that was obviously Kristen Armstrong's here and she encouraged me to move here. Plus we had a title sponsor that was based here as well, um, the infamous Exergy. And it it was, you know, when I came here, I thought, gosh, you know, you can just have a, have a regular job or even almost a part-time job and buy a house here. I mean, that since has changed, of course, since COVID. Um, now, you know, housing prices have tripled at least. But in Roanoke, Virginia, you can still buy a house. I mean, I was just actually looking last night and it's like, oh, there's a, a cute little three bedroom, one bathroom for $209,000, you know? And sorry, let me just get on Zillow yeah. here and uh, schedule a, a yeah. showing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if you're if you're handy and you can fix houses up, you can get one for 75K. You know, it's um, wild. But isn't 
gosh, I mean, really, that's how life should be. I mean, but it's it's changed so much. So I do feel fortunate to be in a community that that does support that. And and you can, you know, follow a passion and and, you know, not have to get paid a lot to be able mm -hmm. to live. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And it's uh, yeah, it's great being there. Yeah. And I have to imagine, you know, we just kind of touched on sponsorship there. This is a really interesting time for the team because this will be the first time the team's around when the Olympics are coming back to the U.S., which yes. puts the team in a very unique position as a team that's been Olympic oriented for yeah. like since its inception. So this must be like an amazing time for sponsorship stuff. And I was actually going to ask, like, how do you think like the women's cycling, especially in the U.S., like, how has women's cycling kind of changed or grown? Do you think it's growing right now? Like, are we in a growth movement? Like, it's a really odd time, I would say. It is, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's such a loaded question, too. I mean, there's, I think, when everything stopped during COVID, I think, you know, gravel was building before it, that's for sure. I think there were, there were literally hundreds of gravel events on the calendar, hundreds. Um and then everything stopped and then it sort of there was a little bit of reshuffling and and the landscape changed um coming out of covid and you know there the the gravel participation numbers are huge i mean i think that there were a lot of events originally some of them went away and some of them just grew and there was sort of more of a focal point especially with lifetime grand prix events um and then acquiring events you know the participation numbers are, are up for sure as far as in cycling because thousands of people show up to these gravel events road took a little bit of a hit and and the first comeback here um post-covid um and i hate to actually even use that as a barometer you know this this time of um this pandemic but mm -hmm. but it was and it really shifted a lot of things for a lot of individuals inside and outside of sport um it you know it was very very pivotal and you know the so so lots of participation in gravel road suffered and then road is starting to make a comeback and you know people always say road, road racing in america is dead stage racing is dead it's not i mean these the events that we went to this year all had record numbers of participants and in some I think it was Joe Martin had more women than men. And we're talking 130 women in a pro field. And, you know, HeLa numbers are always a little lower, I think, because, you know, by virtue of the logistical challenges, it's, you know, not right next to an airport, but also the terrain. I think it scares off a lot of people. I think that, you know, a lot of women that have been racing criteriums mostly feel like they can handle Redlands and, and handle Joe Martin and HeLa's, Heel is a beast, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, you've got um, so much climbing there, but record numbers. And and I think it's on the upswing again. And of course, you've got lots of criteriums happening and and criterium series. And um, it's it it's it's beginning to thrive again, but it's very disjointed. Everybody's doing um, their own thing in their own place and it, it's not very unified so it, it's hard when you're looking at picking a calendar looking at your schedule um, you know what are we focusing on what are our overriding goals and we did a lot of criteriums last year and had a blast um, I think that's a skill that needs to be developed because it's if you're doing stage races usually a criterium involved um, we came back to the stage race focus to, so we can get some good road racing in this year. Um, just potentially positioning a couple of our newer athletes, um, not necessarily for Paris because it's a bit too late for the road for that, um, for the, the young athletes that we have, but potentially for LA and just exposing them to different things, um, you know, like the track and, and uh, the, all of the disciplines, but I think that in America, it's really hard because of the the media focus on all the ball sports. Um, it doesn't get the attention that I would hope that it would get. Um, 
you know, even the cycling media, shame on them. Um, they barely covered the stage races. And if it, they barely, they didn't cover Redlands, a lot of them, because it's not UCI, but it's the same athletes racing at Redlands. It's, it's the same, you know, important races that are the pathway for American athletes to the Olympics or, or to a world tour team. You know, you have to go and do these races to get noticed. Um, and it, you know, it was, it was terrible that the race was barely covered anywhere. And you've got, you know, these rising stars that, I wish their stories would be followed. I mean, I use my team as an example. In the time trial at Red, Redlands, we swept the podium with with three athletes that no one's heard of. And, you know, they beat 120 women. And and why and where did these women come from? Because, you know, they're, they're incredible stories. I mean, we've got Emily Ehrlich, who's been on the circuit for a few years, mostly racing criteriums. Um, she has autism. She's you know, incredibly driven. And now we're putting her in this arena of stage racing. She's thriving. I mean, she won Redlands. And, you know, we've got Laurel Quinones, who she was a D1 rower at Columbia. She's a data analyst in New York. Um, during COVID, she loved to work out in gyms. Gyms were closed. So she went to Walmart, literally, and bought a bicycle, rode it around Central Park until it broke, thought, hey, this is pretty cool. I, I like this cycling stuff. Um, then got on Zwift bought another bike which off a of Craigslist, which looked like a race bike, which was probably from the nineties. Um, but you know, it was, but then she got on Swift and, and we found her on Swift. I mean, Kristen Kolchinski and Josh Lipka, who directs our, our Swift team. Um, we're always looking for talent through Swift power. And, you know, then you kind of find some, somebody who is an outlier and then you have to figure out, you know, is this power legitimate? Are they using the right equipment? Are they dual recording? And so we found Laurel and um, now she's on a UCI team and she just actually was finished three seconds behind Lauren Stevens in the time trial at Joe Martin. And we found her on Swift. She was part of our Swift team for a year first then we recruited her. Um, she has a lot of um, work to do on bike handling skills because she doesn't have the experience. I mean, she, you know, she rode around Central Park and then on Swift. So, mm -hmm. um, well, and Swift is actually something I did want to ask you about because I, I think I, I've, I've said it a lot lately. I feel like Zwift and like esports have really democratized women's sport in a way because now you can have women who are getting into it you know, typically we don't have a lot of time because we have family obligations and all of these other things. Uh, you know, like a lot of my mom friends like can't train outside most days because they have work and the kids right. and all that. And now they can actually get on Zwift and like be putting in that time. And you and I were on the call talking to Marley's about her training yeah. on Zwift with a, you know, little three-year-old running around in the background and she's, you know, on the team and kicking ass. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, um. so we... I think it was, gosh, it was quite a few years ago now when when Zwift introduced the um, Zwift Kiss Super League. And that was integrating UCI teams into the, the Zwift racing platform. And we were one of the first teams that agreed to do it. And we went to Zwift headquarters and they actually did a race from there. And, you know, it was it was really, really fun. But what we didn't realize at the time, I mean, at first I actually was questioning, oh, my gosh, one more thing on my plate. Um, but as it turns out, it's it's been, you know, a, a huge benefit. And we we really do integrate it into what we do. I mean, we're we take part in the Zwift Grand Prix. We take part in uh, the WTRL leagues. Um, we have a hybrid team of Zwift specialists and our IRL racers as well. But the IRL racers have actually um gained a lot from from racing on swift i mean just the you know the ability to be able to suffer um because swift is really hard you can you can you know suffer in the comfort of your own home um and then you can actually apply it to when you're racing a race you're like oh this is nowhere near as bad as it was on swift um because um yeah it, it intensifies everything but you know, doing key workouts on Zwift is really important as well. Um, it's a very controlled environment. And and so you actually can push yourself harder um, and, and see better power numbers. Um, and then you can produce the same outside eventually. And uh, so it's a very useful tool. And 
for us. And, and also, you know, as a team, when you don't get to race a ton um, week after week, you get together on Swift as a team and we're on discord and you build team. And, you know, we, we have a super supportive environment on Swift and Kristen Kolchinski, who's um, a jeweler out of New York. Um, she actually is one of the, the top Swifters in the world. Um, she's usually at the top of the rankings of on Swift power and, you know, she was at world championships and the last two years racing, um, representing the U S but she is primarily a Zwifter who is now transitioning to going outside and, and riding. And she sends me a little report every day. Um, but she is such a cheerleader for everybody. And she spends so much time teaching the athletes, the craft of, of Zwift racing, um, that, yeah, she, she's very, very important part of, of what we do. And, it's uh it's been good for us but you know in the bigger picture Zwift has really just supported women and you know I, I'm incredibly grateful for it over the last few years and with the the Tour de France avec Zwift it's it's incredibly important to have their support and you know um yeah just giving giving women more opportunity and uh highlighting highlighting women has been has been great and they are a partner of ours and a few years ago we lost a title sponsor at the last minute and Eric Min from Swift stepped in and really saved the team for the following year which I'm grateful for and a lot of people don't know that but yeah huge huge advocates of the company um just just everything everything about what they do it's been really very positive impact on our team yeah, I'm always so impressed when I like hear kind of even just more and more stories because you do see like Tour de France of X Swift, obviously, but then to hear like more of these like, I don't want to say smaller because like it's a big deal to step in as a title sponsor, but like all of these stories that kind of go unnoticed, but they've put so much effort into yeah women's cycling. It's just been yeah really cool. All right, before before we wrap up, um, the one last question I wanted to touch on, and then I want to hear you know where everyone can follow along is just. You did mention, you know, you've had or you have uh, women from Afghanistan. You have a woman from Cuba who's like trying to work towards residency, um, all of this stuff. How do you handle the political sides of all of this while, you know, trying to keep your racers focused on on the racing? It's it's got to just be so much work and emotional load for for you, I have to imagine. Yeah, I mean, it is, but it's, you know, I feel like. I don't know if I if I can contribute just to to helping someone have a have a better life for themselves in some way um that's meaningful to me I I feel like my you know I realize my my purpose in this life is to elevate girls and women um and if it's on the bike great if it's off the bike even better um and that it's just very meaningful to me. It's not, it's not easy. I mean, Marlise and I have navigated so much for many years now, actually, um, to get to, to almost the point of, you know, her and doing it legally, you know, I mean, there's many people that leave Cuba and they do it illegally. I mean, we're, we're doing this process legally. So it's, it's been hard, but but how amazing. I mean, I look at her daughter, Marieth, who comes to the races with us and, you know, for her to be able to have the opportunities that we all take for granted um, is, is really meaningful to me. Um, I, I feel like, you know, when, when someone kind of comes into my sphere and I am driven to, to help them, you know, I, I like to see the reciprocation in, in a way of, just they need to work equally as hard at, at making this happen as I do. Um, and then, and then we're good. We're just forging ahead, but <clears throat> you know, and, and with, um, with uh, Rupsar as well, I mean, she's got herself a job in, um, in uh, Fairfax, Virginia, and she is still cycling, but she's not, she's not anywhere near a performance level in cycling, but she's had other things that she's, had to deal with and go through PTSD. She's found a community there that really is helpful to her and a local cycling club um, that she rides and trains with, but she'll be moving to, to Roanoke in the next 
few months, which is great. And she'll get into, she, you know, she's, she'll be going to Virginia Western College um, and then focusing on her cycling a little more. But I don't know. I, I think that it, if somebody comes into your pathway, crosses your pathway and they need help and, and you have the means of which to, to help them. And the means in my case is just the drive to help somebody. Um, to help them navigate a situation, just to support them and and do what, you know, what what you can. Um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean you have to have money to be able to help somebody um, change their life. It's just the willingness to do it and and just, um, yeah, it's as simple as that, really. Anybody, if, if everybody helped one person, then we'd be fine. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Before we go, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find team 2024, soon to be team 2028 in the, in the next I, year. Or so. Oh my gosh. No, I can't believe I'm committed to doing it for one more Olympic cycle, but I will because it just makes sense because it's America. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, www.team2024.com is our website. Um, and then you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. We're not on TikTok. <laughs> I refuse. Thank goodness. People <laughs> <laughs> like, we need a TikTok channel. I'm like, I have enough on my plate. But Can't yeah. do it. Can't do it. You got to draw the line somewhere. There's your balance right there. You're yeah. not on TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a sad balance if that's my balance. Yeah, but. <laughs> oh my gosh I love it well thank you so much for taking the time to chat about all of this stuff it's uh, it's I can't believe it's been taken us this long to to get on a call and talk through all of this <laughs> I know right I mean there's so much more to this just so much but thank you I really appreciate you um giving me the opportunity to share the story anytime anytime all right. I loved that conversation with Nicola. I'm so glad she got a little bit honest there about the the lack of balance in her life and how she's hoping to find something again. And here's me crossing my fingers that she does. And, uh, you know, hopefully hearing that if you're starting something, you can think about balance from day one, not 20 years down the road. All right. With that, uh, you know, remember to subscribe. We're back every other Thursday and rate review. It's super, super helpful. Head over to Instagram or business.of.fitness. Uh, and you can find me at Molly J. Herford. And of course, make sure you are watching the Tour de France Femmes because it's going to be amazing. And of course, keep an eye on domestic cycling in the U.S. because also so much great stuff happening there. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you next time.